This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Lisa Kovacevic and joining me in the cave tonight are Stuart Richards, Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. It's everybody. <gasps> We're all Hello. here. All- it's a full cave. It is. We're all crammed in. Um, yeah, this is our second. Oh, my God. Who said that? <laughs> I don't know. Someone off mic. Uh, well, this is instalment two of uh, Plato's Caves Melbourne International Film Festival edition or MIF, as the locals call it. Uh, and we have five. Uh, we five have been um, burning calories as we race between the Forum Theatre, Acme Cinemas, Hoyt Cinemas and everywhere in between. And then we duly put the cal- calories back on as we watch countless films, eat copious amounts of popcorn and consume many a glass of vino, which some are doing right <laughs> now. We're um, preparing no for radio It's we a are. dry cave. It's a, it's a dry cave. On my side of the desk it is, Stu. Um, yes, well, we've done the hard yards so that you don't have to. So you can sit back as we speed review in excess of 20 films in 60 minutes. Take it away. Sally with Rafiki. Oh well, we we almost had a we had a big Plato's Cave screening of Rafiki on was it Saturday night. Yeah, it was good. I I did. I really liked this. I I found it quite heartwarming. It was basically it was a story of it was a Kenyan film of two young females falling in love, quite forbidden, and um, you know the events that take place after that, but. Their relationship was really beautiful, I thought. There were points where I found myself just smiling throughout this film. I I really enjoyed it and I just thought that the two main actors in it were excellent. I couldn't take my eyes off them. They were wonderful. The chemistry between the two of them is fantastic. Yes, it was. And the colour scheme is incredible. Um, it's so well done. And also, I should apologise, I lost my voice on Friday mm-hmm. at MIF and it's returning, which is good. It's not there 100% yet, though. It's, it's kind of but sexy. You're not, <laughs> you're not meant to talk during the films. <laughs> I'm How yelling at people to get off their phones. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, the, um, so Kenyan film, Kenyan lesbian film, which is incredible. It got banned in Kenya. Um and the the colour scheme is incredible. The performances are great. Um, it's a Romeo and Juliet story. It's like two uh, women from like two opposing political families, um, and you know the, this forbidden love in sort of several ways, which I like. Um, yeah, it's it's a really sort of lovely, sweet film that is also heartbreaking. I mean, I think it's really important to tell these stories of sort of African queerness. Um, yeah. Does anyone know how difficult this film was to make? I mean, I don't, but does... does I, I expect do reasonably difficult, but I, I, it's clear they had funding enough. It was bankrolled by any number of uh, institutions attached to European film festival mm, culture. Yeah. And, the Herbert uh, Bowles Fund. From yeah, that, that's integral to a lot of uh, yeah. developing world uh, filmmaking, especially which then finds its way onto the festival circuit, which in its own way is not entirely unproblematic. Mm. You want the this, this cinema of that part of the world to somehow be decolonised and yet um, in order to make uh, allow people to make films with authenticity, they're still reliant upon uh, mm. Western dollars. So it's, it's, it's complex. But this was a lovely film. It did feel very authentic. Uh, it was a gorgeous thing to behold, the colours in it, even in a hospital. Uh, were just just beautiful. And um, I, I did feel I was seeing something that I haven't quite seen before, even though... Uh, the trajectory of the narrative seemed 
pretty well a foregone conclusion. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it too. Well, speaking of lovely colours, Emma, you saw strange colours. I sure did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opal mines. That's where the colours come from. Oh, that's strange. Australian film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Lovely film. Um, I found what is really interesting about Strange Colours is uh, I could imagine a a different version of this film where it really fell flat. Um, And without saying where it goes, uh, there was. There was a, a malevolence and a sense of unease that um, Elena and I can't remember what's her surname. F- oh. Elena Lodkina. Lodkina, Russian-born Australian um, Australian filmmaker who. Um, she creates this sense of unease, which I think is really, really unique and very, very hard to um, to achieve, especially as a first-time feature filmmaker. And it's really. I remember my my osteopath telling me a story about when he had Austrian tourists come in for treatment and they told him about buying an old car and going into the outback and touring around. And he said, first of all, don't buy an old car. Get one that actually works and you're not going to break down. And secondly, watch Wolf Creek because it's a documentary. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and there's something about Strange Colours that plays on that aspect of these... these um, white men who go out uh, now elderly, whether they were elderly when they began, but have gone out into the outback to escape something Mm. emotionally or whether it's uh, a physical escape, like the law or something like that. And then there's this introduction of a young woman uh, from an urban environment who comes in and to visit her, her dying father, who's one of those men or is he says he's dying, but he's not actually really. But what did you take away from the films, too? Uh, well, I, I think it's a, an amazing film, an amazing, like proper art house film. Um, it's sort of funded by the Vien- the Venice Biennale College. Um, sort of hundred percent, the funds come from that uh, program, and. Yeah, stunning, stunning film. Beautifully shot. There's a slowness, slowness to it, which is really lovely. Um, that doesn't get dull at all because there is that malevolence. But it could have got dull. It this could is have the been amazing really dull, thing. But it's I can not. see the other version of this film. This yeah. could have gone full it's and really so flat. It's so incredible when they're in the cave. Um, and sort of the the light and there's all of the close-ups of the opal colours and, yeah, it's an incredible Australian film. And a great end credit sequence. Yes. Great music. Yeah. And And I'll just jump in very quickly too. It's um, There's an outsider perspective, not just because it's uh, an Australian who's not from that part of Australia, but she's actually a Russian-Australian. And um, I think not unlike... um, what's his name, Ted Kotcheff coming to Australia way back when to make Wake and Fright. There's someone who's not of that world finding ways to easily tease out the uh, sinister side of of what is, even to us here, we cave dwellers, uh, quite an alien environment. <laughs> um, so, just, so the Strange Colours is playing on the 15th. That session is on standby, but uh, the 17th still has tickets available. So do go see it. And Stu, you also saw I Used To Be Normal. Is that Australian as well? It is. Yeah. Some uh, Australian uh, filmmakers. I Used To Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story. <laughs> so it follows four women who are fans of 
uh, boy bands. Um, there's someone who, a Melbourneian, who's a fan of, well, still is a fan of the Beatles. Uh, there's a Sydney sider who's a fan of Take That. Uh, then there is a, a San Franciscan woman who is a fan of the Backstreet Boys. And then there's a woman from, I believe, New York, and she's a fan of One Direction. And it looks at sort of these four women and their sort of very intense adoration of these boy bands. And it's really interesting where from One Direction back to the Beatles, a lot of the kind of moral panic around women sort of expressing their adoration of these young men um, uh, sort of hasn't really changed. I mean, apart from that, I don't think it's very revelatory in any way, but it's so much fun. I can't uh, sort of, uh, I can't sort of describe just how funny this film is. A lot of the language they use in their love of these um of these boy bands and there's a really great uh, theory of boy bands which gets sort of presented in the film where um, boy bands, and this is sort of a quote, boy bands are a group of three to five young men aged between 17 and 21, each assigned a particular role. There's the cute one, the serious one, the bad boy and the, for- and the forgotten one. Um, <laughs> And there's a few caveats. So they sing about love but not sex. So that rules out boys to men. And oh. controversially, uh, they can't be related. So Hanson are technically not a boy band. So Duran Duran? Duran, not a boy band. That's New it. Kids oh, on the block. Oh. <laughs> New, kids, uh, no. New Kids on the Block or? I don't, I, I don't know enough about them. <laughs> Sally and I are competing for the mic tonight, <laughs> and you will really hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Sally and Emma's competition over the mic. New Give kids. us money next week because we don't have enough mics. No, yeah, that's right. It's Radio Thon next week. Please subscribe um, and uh, get us some headphones and mics in studio. <laughs> it's a necessity. Um, em, you also saw another Australian film called West of Sunshine? I did, yes, yeah. yes. And um, it, this uh, tills, mu- tills much mind soil of the loser father um, kind of genre of film. <laughs> it's actually a thing. I think you guys, I didn't get to talk about it, but there was that one from New York. What was it? Menachem? Menachem. Yeah, oh, yeah. Menachem. Yeah, which goes to... This can cover um, much territory, uh, the, the loser dad. The, 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 the as well, the Taititi film. Oh, yes. Yes, that's another one. Yes, that's another one. So um, this is an Australian uh, version of that. And I really, I did really enjoy this film. I thought it was a very solid film. Um, I thought that there was a lot of chemistry between the the characters. Uh, it was very, it was very strong. It was a good little story. It held me. It gets a little bit uh, slow-mo and um, pluck on heartstrings to the end for my liking, let me say. But um Look, that's a little bit nitpicking, really. As a whole, it does fall together. Um, it plays on. They have Lisa Gerard do the score for this one as well, and Lisa Gerard is a big person in the Australian film scoring world, and is for rightly so. And I think that her music does really stand out in this. Um, did you see it, Lisa? No, did you see I'm not. It? Did I was anyone else to... see it? No one else saw it. So yes. sorry. Oh well, this has been getting a bit of hype. Actually, it's got a lot of, um, I think, publicity across town. But it does have another screening. Um, I'm not sure whether it's on standby. But even if it is on standby, um, 
it's worthwhile going along because the standby tickets often you can get a ticket. Yeah, you usually night. can get a seat at yeah, standby sessions. Exactly. So that's West of Sunshine. Uh, and keeping in the Australian film theme, um, on Friday night I went along to the locally made feature length doco Now Sound Melbourne's Listening. Um, the film's just a vibrant um, documentary about the Melbourne music scene. Um, and actually, Triple R features quite heavily in it. So it could have had the subtitle, a Triple R documentary, really. Um, <laughs> But anyone who was anyone was there at the screening on Friday night. Anyone who's anyone within the sorry the local music scene, I should say. Um, Excuse me, I, I know wasn't there. you were what there. Are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know what I was? I was living now. Sound. I was at the Mildlife gig at the night. Well, yeah, Mildlife <laughs> featured heavily in the doco. You were you were there living you it. You were living it, Em, and I was just watching it on a screen next to Wildlife. No, they weren't. They weren't there. They were at your at your um, gig. But exactly. the, the, the film is directed by um, Tobias Willis, um, whose love for the Melbourne music scene just spills out. Actually, he was very emotional. He came and presented the film and it was a very emotional presentation and that sort of emotion really spilled out into this film. It's really just a love letter to the Melbourne music scene and it's quite timely because um, last year um, Melbourne was named um, what was it? I've got the title written down. It was like mu- oh, music capital is, of the yeah, world. Yeah, and it's per capita. It's yeah. a per capita because I, I, I went, how can that work with New York and that, but it's per capita. Well, it's yeah. because we're the most livable music capital <laughs> in the world. <laughs> We love to say that. Um, but, yeah, we got dubbed the music capital of the world, um, which is something, you know, we should be proud of and we should cherish. And the film sort of looks at uh, the threats that sort of, um, you know, uh, threaten... <laughs> the threats that threaten. Uh, <laughs> I did well in English. I like how threats threaten. <laughs> they do. Um, yeah, all the things that sort of threaten our, our music scene. Um, uh, and, yeah, he talks to just artists, producers, event organisers, labels, obviously radio uh, broadcasters like Triple R, um, People like Jess Ribeiro, Jen Cloa, Sui Chen, client liaison feature in the documentary. Um, and he sort of covers the gamut of issues around the local music scene. So uh, women in music, um, the, the threat that our venues face uh, in the face of gentrification in, in areas like Fitzroy, that they've been threatened to be shut yeah. down. And um, Do they... Tour around the venues much in the in the film. The film? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, and and there was there was some interesting protests that happened at the in the at the tote in two thousand and ten. Yes. There's a lot of footage of, around that. Mm. Um, uh, and so then, I must say, I'll have to because I didn't say it before. West of Sunshine tours around Melbourne. It's yeah. a bit exciting. It to is see exciting. Yeah. It's great to see your city on the screen. I mean, look objectively as a film. Objectively, it's it's maybe not a great film, but it's it's sort of like a, a time capsule. It's a really important one, and um, it doesn't have any more screenings at MIF. But the reason I'm mentioning it um, is because on September fifth, Triple R is holding a subscriber screening of of Now Sound at Lido Cinemas in Hawthorne. And if you're a subscriber, um, you can head to the Triple R website to see how you might score yourself a couple of tickets to see that. And if you're not a subscriber, you should subscribe next week to this show. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> perfect timing. And another. Re- reason to become a subscriber is because Courtney Barnett, who features in the Now Sound documentary, is actually performing live at Triple R during MAPS, playing tracks from her latest album, Tell Me How You Really Feel. Um, And again, if you're a Triple R subscriber, check out the website to see how you might um, get involved with that one. Otherwise, just tune in on Monday, September 3rd at 6.30 and you can hear Courtney perform tracks. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. Cerise, what can you tell us about Canaba? Oh, well, I can tell you that it is uh, as, as um, uncomfortable a viewing experience as I've had in a long time. Uh, few of the films made about celebrity cannibals. 
Um, this is perhaps not unusual. There are not many celebrity cannibals. There should be uh, more, I say. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, maybe there'll be some copycat yeah. cannibalism that emerges from... Actually, likely there's going to be a lot of people going home feeling very, very dirty. This uh, really extraordinary documentary is from the team at the rather evocatively titled Harvard Sensory Ethnographic Lab uh, Lucien Castang-Taylor and Verna Paravel, um, a couple of filmmakers who are very determined to whatever it is they're documenting, have you, the audience, feel that you are there. And in this case, we're here not just with this uh, notorious cannibal, um, uh, Issy Sagawa, but also his brother, who turns out to be quite an interesting character himself and who largely is, has become a caretaker for his notorious brother. And much of this film takes place in extreme close-up, uh, of their bodies, um, not always in focus. Often we're given plenty of time to just uh, take in abstracted versions of their persons uh, while the soundtrack is often amplified so we can hear them chewing or um, oh. uh, attending to other other matters, often very strained, uh, stilted, slow, awkward dialogue about oh, there's almost a bit of one-upsmanship there. This brother who feels it seems to be trying to steal some limelight by trying to explain just how peculiar and perverse he is, and we do get to learn a bit about that in due course. This is uh, not a film for probably everybody. Uh, it would be film for me. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it would be amongst the worst date movies of all time. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, but it is astonishing. Or it, just, it is it, a date movie that is a litmus test. Yeah, for, you're hooked up with a cannibal. That's what that will tell you. It's, it is extraordinary, but I it, it made me feel so queasy, and that queasiness has not entirely left wow. either. It's it's powerful. Um, yeah, really, really quite quite something. And it has its last screening, second and last screening at MIF this very evening after this show. Oh. So I think at uh, nine tonight or so. Sally, you're I'm, going. I'm going. You? I'm leaving straight from the show to go to that screening. So it sounds like I'm in for a relaxing evening. It's right <laughs> up your alley, Sally. If you must. Sally's, yeah. <laughs> Sally's um, vegan. And Emma, you saw Over the Limit. I did see Over the, Over the Limit and I loved it. From what cannibalism a, to gymnastics. Exactly. <laughs> Although this was probably just as intense, really. Um, I doubt is, it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is about, um, this is about the, the Russian, uh, Russian gymnast, actually, and it, was, it, it, it features Margarita Marmun, who, if anyone's followed the Olympics or rhythmic gymnastics, knows that she actually won the gold medal at uh, the Rio Olympics. And she, um, what what is amazing about this documentary is that it's described. Um, it's actually described by Variety in the, the Myth Guide as being um, the black swan of sports documentaries. But I would say it's more like the whiplash mm. of sports documentaries. The amount of abuse that is hurled at this young woman. Um, and it is about her, oh, we could say ascent to the Olympics and Olympic glory, but there's no sense of that whatsoever. It's just about, it's it's more about, we know that this is her swan song that she 
she intends to retire at the, after the Olympics and that's the relief. That's the relief that this film um, moves towards. It's kind of filmed like it's a fictional feature. It's amazing how that the, the camera really seems um, very close and a very much a part of everything but she seems totally unaware of it, um, as does her the head coach of the Russian gymnastic team who I find it absolutely unbelievable that she was willing to put herself um, on screen as that, which maybe suggests that she finds there's nothing wrong with what she did, just like, um, you know, the, the, the jazz um, instructor in... <laughs> in Whiplash who was like, well, you know, look, I made the j- best jazz musicians and she's like, look, I created a gold medalist. So uh, I, I think that um, all of these screenings we're talking about basically are um, on again. I think this is another one in standby, but it's worthwhile standing by and trying to get into it really. Uh, Sally, Tigers are not afraid apparently. Is that something you've seen? I think it's something that most of us have seen. Yeah, maybe. we've all seen everything yeah. except I have me. Not. Except oh, you have not. Oh, me neither. Oh, well, well, three of us have seen it. Um, this movie is spectacular. It is uh, one of those films that I am having trouble articulating how good it is. It, oh, it's great. You're in the perfect forum for that. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> in the right spot. Act it out. <laughs> I'll just do some mimes. Mime for radio. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, it's um, centred around children, but it is quite confrontational that, you know, films that are focused, I guess, around fairy tales and children don't normally sort of go to that level and it's also a really beautiful film as well in regards to that. It, I loved it. Yeah, so it, it reaches a level of violence against children that you don't normally see in film. And it is a really lovely fairy tale, though. It's it's a, These children are, are coping with sort of this cartel terrorism in Mexico, basically. Is this a documentary or a film? It's a, it's a, it's a real-life real, film. Yeah. So as a young girl who returns home and her mother has been taken by the cartels and she, she ends up with um, some other orphan boys and they kind of cope and survive while being hunted down by the cartels and she is being haunted by her mother and... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a way for them to sort of use fantasy and kind of childlike play while being hunted down by mindless killers. And the way that it's been described there is exactly what it is, and it sounds absolutely horrific. And it is. And it is at points, but it's <laughs> but it also, also incredibly yeah, beautiful. It's like, beautiful. it's really, really incredible yeah. filmmaking. And their performances are incredible. Yeah, I think that was um, one of the notable points of this film is that it manages to um, show beautiful fairy tale imagery I, I, which is probably the best of fairy tales being able to to bring the magic into into the darkness it sounds and this film very much so does this i mean it's darkness is dark yeah right mm. it, from what you're saying it reminds me of pan's labyrinth or something does it have similarities there or yeah I, I i saw a tweet i forget who by, but they said it was Pan, Pan's Labyrinth meets the Florida Project. Yeah, right. Which is really apt, I think. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, and Emma and I saw Bisbee 17, which was this really interesting sort of docudrama hybrid. Um, sorry, I'm just throwing that at you, Emma. <laughs> I might have thrown you. Is that right? Did you see it? 
Yes, I did see it. So it's about this yep. tiny border town of Bisbee in Arizona, which is um, it's known for its now defunct but enormous copper mine turned tourist attraction mm. um, and the quaint artists that now live in the town. Um, and the town has this sort of strong sense um, of community spirit that keeps this sort of ghost town alive. Um, and then there's also this 100-year-old ethnic cleansing that everyone seems to have forgotten about, except for Robert mm. Green, who's the director. And so he sort of comes into the film and has the... It's, it's really quite timely, isn't it, considering where it's located quite close to that Mexican Mexican border and what's what's happening with Trump and um, but uh, Robert Green comes in and he has uh, members of the town reenact this um, dark period in their history which happened about a hundred years ago when uh, the miners of this copper happened m- exactly a hundred years, years ago. ago they did it as it's a remarkable. reenactment on the centennial yep. yeah that's right and so this copper mine which is absolutely huge it's ginormous and it really um, was a big part of the war effort uh, for World War One I, I believe. Um, um, and then they eventually close it down. Now it's a tourist attraction. But at the, at the time that they were mining, the miners um, got together and formed a union and um, were demanding, obviously, better pay, better rights. Uh, and all the companies behind it said, uh, no, you can like it or lump it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and they got together, about 2,000 of them got together with the sheriff of that town um, and put them on boxcars, which was quite chilling considering what was happening in Nazi Germany um, and sent them to to the Mexican border, um, never to sort of be heard of or thought about again. And a lot of them were ethnic minorities, we yeah. should say as well. So it was this real ethnic cleansing. Um, but it's a it was rem- mainly Mexicans and Eastern Europeans. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah. And it was sort of like brother against brother. So, mm. you know. Literally, at one, one yeah. example was that they got to play out in yeah. the. Yeah. That Robert Greene, uh, some people may remember him from the film. Kate uh, plays Christine that was in MIF a couple of years ago and so he works with this idea of um, teasing out uh, non-fictional subject matter with performance and uh, in that that was with the Christina Chubbuck case where she committed suicide on air and has the (laughs) 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 accident it did happen a long time ago (laughs) and um, why are we laughing (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny funny at all. Not funny. Especially if you were one of the unfortunates who actually saw that live footage were watching the news that night. But... um yeah, he so he has this interesting way of playing with the fictional, bringing actors in who um, may have um, some sort of background to the incident or some sort of they're always contextualized in the way they come to it and sometimes they will change their view in in trying to work through it um this is a perfect this is you know exactly like kate plays christine kate plays christine i i was more interested in the subject matter but this one it it just ramps up the way he he has such a beautiful amazing momentum in his movies that comes about and it's also uh for people who may know and it was a a a documentary that won a lot of awards kitty green no relation to robert Hmm. green i must say the australian filmmaker did a similar thing with the netflix exclusive which was casting john bonnet oh casting john bonnet because it reminded me a lot of the act of killing which um was all about oh yes yes you know um 
that was all about mass execution. The Indonesian yeah, um, yeah, yeah. death squads. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was mm. horrific. horrific. Mm. Um, Astonishing yeah. film. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's really, it's a really interesting approach to the form. It's also like this weird form of catharsis that, mm. that sort of happens out of mm. these sort of stagings. It's shot beautifully. It's so cinematic. And the score by Keegan DeWitt is, I, I loved it. Yeah. It was so this sort of jarring steel string guitar and he's a very folky. very 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 clever filmmaker. He does it in six chapters, yeah. so it gives you this beautiful pacing that seems to make it not too overwhelming as mm. well, and it gives him space to mm. explore things and keep people on track. Uh, yeah, he's he's just. You know, it's a new form of documentary. That's the only thing. I think a lot of people go into documentary expecting a certain type of documentary. This is not that. No, <laughs> it's remarkable. And it moves in between the reenactment and the the real-time stuff or the real-life stuff and the people that are having to act out this event and, and them reflecting on it after they've acted it out. That's I found it really fascinating and gripping and just really well-crafted film. Um, that screens on Saturday at 11 a.m at Hoyts um, and Cerise you are going to talk about shorts now lots of shorts baggy sure. shorts, short <clears throat> shorts make it short yeah. Cerise <laughs> well I uh, in as many as seven categories I was engaged as one of three jurors of the shorts across uh, MIF this year along with uh, Cheryl Mulholland and Sarah Snook and uh, these awards were announced last night and media releases have since gone out so I can freely talk about at least at least the winners um Next Sunday, there are a couple of screenings of the the, the seven films that were chosen uh, to be award winners. But I think each of the short packages has at least one more screening. So there's, you know, Australian fiction shorts, animation, experimental, all the usual categories. But it was a, a, a really strong uh, overall selection of shorts that um, we all hugely enjoyed wading into. And I, I, I'm going to just shout out to a, a couple in particular. The um, the Awarded Best Australian Short Film, All These Creatures, Charles Williams, uh, extremely uh, ev- evocative drama, a little, a little, um, a little film about uh, mental health and uh, a family struggling with a, a sick father um, in a, a very familiar sort of environment. I believe it's somewhere in, in Melbourne, um, but it could be almost anywhere in big city Australia, but not one of the gentrified suburbs, just more one of those sort of around these parts, western suburbs or perhaps outer, outer fringes. Anyway, it's uh, tremendously moving. Um, I think Charles Williams has a, a, a terrific future ahead of him. Um, I, I don't like to think people are just going into shorts in order to audition for feature filmmaking, but you also do see a lot of promise in some cases. So you go, all right, well, there's an award. Go forth and <laughs> conquer. Um, the, the overall best short film, the Grand Prix, the City of Melbourne Grand Prix, uh, a beautiful film called Fauve, director Jeremy Comte, just... Toxic masculinity in children. It's a thing, folks. Mm. Uh, one-upsmanship in games of double bluff in perilous landscapes. Two young boys. Um, it, it already sounds like the, the stuff of a, a suspenseful few minutes. It certainly is, but this it, it's glorious film doesn't put a step wrong. No, no, every shot is just measured beautifully. Nothing draws attention to itself, but then it has this lovely little poetic punchline as well it's uh I, I admire a film which tells a story but then also manages to incorporate a little poetry a little magic um it, that's not always something that people can script and just pull off go now for the magic it's just something that some people have and 
<laughs> Others perhaps never will. I don't know. Or maybe will once. Abracadabra. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, animations. There were lots of great animations. We gave a prize to a film called Inanimate, uh, ironically enough. Um, it's a, a very meta animation. Um, a, a narrative universe is infected by its own making of, you could say. Um, and it's just a, a very stunning work, combining puppet animation in a traditional sort of way with some stuff that could only be done in the digital era. Similarly, an experimental film I adored called The uh, Hymns of Muscovy, in which um, Moscow um, urban urban scapes, uh, cityscapes, they're the ones, uh, scroll by upside down afloat in the sky somehow, and it's like a phantom ride from the 1900s or even the 1890s, only in 20th century Moscow architecture everywhere, upside down and no doubt apropos of something with the uh, Russian anthem playing in a treated sort of way throughout. And that's just some of them, five out of seven of the winners, I think. Um, Am I going to commit someone a terrible injustice if I don't mention the other two? Probably. Uh, A lovely documentary called Black Line, very much in that poetic, succinct sort of register. Tell a story by showing very little but just letting it What's there be teased out? Oh, oh yes. Best fiction short film, Bonobo, the Swiss film. Lovely little uh, study of an apartment block and all of the segments of society who live there. Largely folks who are in struggle town a little, uh, folks of ethnicity who um, are clearly struggling in um, just to go about some daily tasks, um, matter-of-fact things that are, uh, their best intentions are entirely scuppered because an elevator isn't being fixed by a landlord. Uh, things spiral. Uh, it's a brilliantly polished, accomplished piece of work. Um, so tremendous admiration for all these short filmmakers. Um, can, when can people see those short films? Well, or, if, or can we? Well, yes, yes. The best ofs, is, um, those seven films are packaged together twice Sunday coming and in one of those screenings in a fully accessible version, which I think is an admirable... Uh, effort on MIF's part in order to have those um, award-winning films appreciable by anyone. Great. Yeah. Uh, But they also are are in their own packages, like the animation shorts or the Australian fiction shorts throughout the week ahead. So just... Just check the schedule online, folks. And Stu, you saw Sorry Angel? I did, I did. Uh, one of my favourites of the festival so far, uh, directed by Christopher Honora, uh, who also directed Man at Bath, starring gay porn legend Francois Sagar. Uh, so the film, uh, Sorry Angel, stars uh, Pierre de la Dorchamp, um, who was in Stranger by the Lake. And it's set in 1933 in Paris. Uh, so around the time of BP, uh, which uh, we uh, sort of looked at uh, earlier this year. Um, and it's almost a companion piece to that film where that film was sort of all about political activism and the AIDS epidemic, where this is um, sort of a few gay men who are uh, sort of almost trying to pretend that that's not happening in a way. And it's sort of it's an older author um uh, Jacques, um, who falls in love and uh, this younger um, gay man. And it's about uh, them beginning this really beautiful relationship, even though one of them is dying and doesn't have much longer left. Um, and there's a really interesting um, sort of line that gets sort of given at the very start when he's they're talking about letter writing and the older man says, be elliptical uh, um, in your writing. 
Um, and that's what the film ends up doing in terms of how the narrative plays out, uh, which is which, which is really really interesting. And the the score is incredible. Um, featuring the Sundays, Massive Attack, the Cocteau Twins, and uh, the meet-cute of when they f- when they meet is in a screening of Jane Campion's The Piano, which <laughs> is really lovely, which is mm. sort of odd. You'd think that of this sort of gay relationship would start but during The Piano. it's a hot film anyway. It is a hot film, yes. And they're talking about how great that film is while they're kind of meeting. Uh, so, yeah, really, really lovely film. Uh, so Sorry Angel is playing uh, on uh, the 14th. Um, at 6.15 and it's selling fast so book your tickets. Well, I don't know about you but I love me a good Brazilian lesbian werewolf movie <laughs> and um, Good Manners is all that and some... Spoilers! <laughs> That's how they describe it. So I know. Oh, no. But that distresses me. It does. I know. Well, actually, yeah, I hadn't read anything about it before going in which was good. You're like me, yeah, Lisa. And yeah. this is a thing, this film, that's why I don't really want to talk about it because I saw it without knowing anything and I thought that it... That's a benefit it, from yes, that. absolutely. So we absolutely. should just not review it. So we'll just a silent let's review. Let's not say anything, <laughs> Sally. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about this. Film. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to further spoil it for everyone, yeah. Sally. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, yeah. but um. One of the first things I do when I get the MIF program is go to the night shift section. So mm-hmm. I had read the synopsis, so I was aware of what the film was about. Um, and I, it is this is a very hard film to talk about without giving away too much of it. Well, it's I, kind of a two-act film, it isn't it? It is a two-act film. Yeah. And I, I like the first act a lot more than I liked the second act Me of this film. Me too. It's interesting. Actually, yeah. they could stand alone as their they own could, films. They could, definitely. Um, it's basic. So the first half of the film is uh, sort of follows this woman, Anna, who's white, wealthy, privileged and pregnant, um, and Clara, who's black, broke, and Anna's live-in baby nanny. And it's... Um, you know, the filmmakers are really, you know, laying out the social commentary there in that relationship and their relationship um, then escalates into something else. Um, uh, but Anna's pregnancy progresses and strange things are afoot um, and questions over the origins of the baby sort of start to percolate to the top of um, the story. Uh, and then the next chapter kind of comes comes along and it's very much a werewolf movie, I suppose, which um, that's, and I've already spoiled that in the, in the opening and they've spoiled it. I didn't the... know I was going to watch a werewolf film. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah I just yeah, right. was watching it and yeah. I mean, you, did you, were you surprised? Did you love that? I fucking loved it. Did you? Like hell. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And maybe because you didn't know and we're just yeah. ruining it for everybody. Yeah. But, the program, but the program ruined yeah. it first. The so. program guide does <laughs> say that. Though. It does. If it instead it said it was a comedy of manners, you might have gone in there expecting something <laughs> very different indeed. Something more Wildian or <laughs> a little more Judy Dench. <laughs> Dame uh, Maggie Smith. How, how extraordinary does Sao Paulo look the city. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hyper real. There's it something hyper-real. very unreal about it, and yet more real than real. Have you seen it, Cerise? Yes. It's like a Grimm's fairy tale. I love that aspect of it. Visually, I really, I loved being in this world, and I loved the use of music in this world. Lots of diegetic um, music, and I, I really appreciated the um, traditional songs that were woven through. Uh, I just got a really good sense of place. I felt the same as you. Yeah, Lisa. yeah. I think that the only thing I was really excited because they seemed to go with the special effects along the line of prosthetics, and then they went somewhere else, which I wasn't very happy with. 
Right. Well, I see. I saw, saw there being a lot of similarities with, um, you know, Jim Henson style uh, puppetry and stuff in this film. Did you? Where am I missing? No. 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 <laughs> あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ
um, his style with this sort of material. Yeah, it I did think work. that it worked really well because he has a slow boil feel, and um, there's just the the tension with a crime film that works very well with him with him stylistically, and it, it was achieved here. Yeah, it reminded me of um, I think it's a Kurosawa film, Rashomon, which is mm. which is about um, sort of the one crime and and from four different viewpoints and yeah. stuff. But the interesting about this film was that it's just four viewpoints from the one character who keeps changing his story and yeah, I thought that does. that was yeah. really an interesting take on the genre. So it's, it's not a bad film and that uh, The Third Murder, Murder Screens this Sunday 11am at Hoyt's uh, 11 and it's selling fast actually so you get online if you're interested in that one. Um, Cerise, what else have you got to add to the discussion? Oh, I don't know that I have a tremendous amount else to add, uh, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. It it was one of those films that I was so glad that I saw in a cinema. I think there is another screening this Saturday night. Go and see it. It is worth seeing in a cinema. Whether you like it or hate it, it's worth it. Thanks, everybody. It's been a great show. We'll see you next week. Bye. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.